Malachi chapter 1 this morning. Malachi chapter 1, we, in the second week of the study, I'll be preaching beginning in verse 6 in just a moment. Um, all of us love to brag about our family, and I'm not uh, immune to that. Uh, but I've shared before about my great aunt, Alice Marshall, and I've lived 58 years on this earth. It was my paternal grandmother's sister. I've never met anyone like my Aunt Alice, so if I bore you again, I'm going to apologize on the front end. But Aunt Alice is absolutely the most well-rounded individual I've ever known in my life. She graduated with outstanding grades from the College of William and Mary. She uh, could kill a deer, skin a deer, cook a deer. When you ate with her, uh, you didn't eat chicken and hamburgers. You ate rabbit, squirrel, venison. Uh, she was the best cook. She made the best rolls in the world. My mom, I hope she's not watching this because my mom makes great ones, but not like Aunt Alice. Her pole beans were unmatched. Uh, she was a tremendous gardener. Her flowers were beautiful. I mean, she would have a flower garden that would spread about half of this room. Uh, she grew vegetables, she could cook, we used to can together. She was a brilliant calligrapher, she could write like immaculately. She was a tremendous artist. She was a voracious reader. My picture of her, she read and she read books that were like that thick. She loved politics. I still get conservative political material in the mail. She passed away 22 years ago that she had made donations and had publications sent to me. She built cabinets. Uh, she started a business over 50 years ago when women in our county did not start businesses. She started a business from the ground up, an oil distributorship that did really well. And, uh, but one of the most precious things is at my feet here. You probably can't see it, uh, but when my aunt passed away, I inherited this glove box. A glove box was set or sat years ago by a home when in the winter months when you came in the door, you would open it up and set the gloves in it. She looked at one and she made it and I wouldn't trade anything for it. In fact, I thought if my house catches on fire and I'm in my right mind, that's going to be in one hand and Karen will be on the other. <laughs> but very seriously, it's, it's very, very precious to me for two reasons. One is the sentimental uh, meaning, but also the fact that it's an exclusive. There's no one else in my family that has this. I'm the only one. And so it's very, very dear to me. You know, this morning, we're looking at the book of Malachi. And as great as this thing is to my heart, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most precious thing you possess is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is to take precedence over it. And so as we engage in this study this morning, I want us all to be honest is God of great value to me? And if he is of great value to me, what is the evidence of that in my life? Look with me at Malachi 1, verses 6 and following. God is speaking here. He said, a son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? 
And if I am a master, where's your fear of me? Says Yahweh of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. You ask, how have we defiled you? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? When you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asked the Lord of hosts. And now ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us since this has come from your hands? Will he show any of you favor? Asked the Lord of hosts. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will accept no offering from your hands. For my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh of hosts. But you are profaning it. When you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible, you also say, look what a nuisance. And you scorn it, saying, says the Lord of hosts. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands? Asked the Lord. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let's pray. Fathers, we look to your word today. We look at how favored you were toward your people. And Father, as we look at our life, and were we to stand here, we wouldn't have the time to share how you have blessed us. Father, you are great, greatly to be praised, but too often in our lives, we place ourselves above you, our desires, our interests, our agendas. And Father, we confess that, that, Lord, you would mend our every flaw. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. And the purpose of that grace is to restore us into a thriving relationship with you. And so we pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week as we were looking here, we saw that God had a great love for Israel. Israel didn't understand it, but God made it very clear that Israel was chosen over, e over Edom, that, that Jacob was chosen over Esau. And so God had a very quick reply that he had truly showed favor to his people. But you remember the second word of this entire book was the word oracle, a burden. Last week, there wasn't really any burden because we were hearing the word of God that said God is loving and he's loving toward Israel. The burden really comes today as we begin to look not at God's love for the people, but how God's people responded to that love. And very simply put, they did not reciprocate that love. The leaders of the people and the people in general were through their specific actions demonstrating a disrespect for God. And so you can almost hear the frustration in God's voice as he's speaking the words today. So as we come to God's word today in 2023 and we apply God's word to our lives, we have to ask ourselves this question. If God is great, and he certainly is, how is my life depicting that? 
How are my actions depicting the greatness of God, his value to me? My words, my attitudes. So today as we look, I really want to look at three things. You have your outline there. And the first thing we'll see this morning is the fact of God's unmatched greatness. You know, many of us grew up with that simple prayer, God is great, God is good. We used to say that before our meals. And that speaks to the fact of God's power and God's benevolence. Last week we saw God's benevolence, how God was good toward a people who actually were not returning that love rightly. But today we see God's greatness in three distinct verses. And actually I want to borrow the last verse from last week, verse 5. And we see in verse 5 is one of those three. It says, the Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. Now, God in his sovereignty chose to work through Israel to be a light to the nations. It is my biblical conviction that God is still has a great plan for the nation of Israel in the future. But we see that God says here that he's great even beyond the borders of Israel. In verse 11, we see a further testament to his greatness because he says in verse 11 for my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting from one side to the other side of the earth his greatness will be manifest verse 14 the deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal why is that for i am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations. Now these verses all attest to the fact that God is great. And there's some important things that we need to understand this morning as we look at the greatness of God. And the first is this, God's greatness is innate. It is the very part of who he is. It's not that God became great or that he has attained greatness. He has always been is and always will be great. For instance, we might look at an accomplished or listen to an accomplished pianist and we might say that he or she has become great by effort. They have accomplished that. They have attained that. God is far beyond that. He never worked toward greatness. By his very nature, he's great. In fact, by that definition, he alone is the greatest. But I want you to see a second truth about God's greatness. It is not diminished by time. Now, in my heart, in my mind, this box is, is very great. It's very beautiful, but it's not timeless. It, it is wearing over time. Were it to be a fire and I not rescue it, it wouldn't stand through the fire. You know, there are many things that we esteem that if we were truly to evaluate we would realize those things are passing. We're investing ourselves, our time in things and people and places and activities and material things that do not last all the time. When God is quietly whispering to us, I am the one who doesn't diminish in my greatness. God is always great. His greatness is not diminished. The Son will one day give out. Should God tarry long enough, we know that the sun by its very nature is in the process of running out of hydrogen and it will cease to be the sun. The scripture tells us that Jesus himself will replace the sun. So as great as the sun is, this great uh, uh, created thing we depend upon, it's diminishing. Do you realize in this very book, 
In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, God says, I never change. He never diminishes. Uh, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God's greatness is innate. He is by his very nature great. He doesn't attain greatness. He is greatness. It does not diminish. It does not decline. His greatness is a very part of who he is, and it is true eternally. But I want you to see finally his greatness is to be acknowledged. Look with me back at Psalm chapter 86. In Psalm chapter 86, we see the psalmist's testimony. In Psalm 86 and verse 8, it says, Lord, there is no one like you among the gods. There are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. His greatness is to be acknowledged. There's none like he is. He is eternally God, eternally great, and worthy of our worship. But I want you to see this comparison. We've seen God's greatness today, God's goodness, as we saw last week. But compared to that, we see Israel's sin. The nation of Israel throughout its history was guilty of a plethora of sins, they wrongly intermingled with, godly, with ungodly rather people in the days of, of Ezra, and God had to rebuke the people. They worshiped at the high places. We studied uh, the kings of, of Judah and also especially the kings of Israel. They did not worship God in the way God called them to do, and they worshiped false deities. They rejected the Sabbath year. In fact, for 490 years of a time, they neglected and rejected God's command to let the land lie fallow, one in every seven. And God kept count. The 70 years in exile were an exact representation of the years that they neglected to observe the Sabbath year. They complained. We saw in Sunday school a few weeks ago in Numbers chapter 11 as the people began to grumble against Moses. And this list is just representative, not exhaustive. But here in this setting, in Malachi chapter 1, was this sin. They did not give God the honor that was due him. Are you giving God the honor that is due him? Are you giving him even part of your day? Are you spending time uh, in God's word, time in prayer, giving thanks? Is God an afterthought or is he a priority? For too many of us today, he's an afterthought. When we were at camp this week, um, we realized the camp made a mistake. Um, they let the kids serve themselves rather than having servers. You know where I'm going. So a couple of the boys, their eyes were big. Uh, I don't think the main culprit of this wasn't in here, but I looked at this one boy. He's not here today. He had 25 or 30 strips of bacon piled on. I knew he wasn't going to eat it, and he didn't. But could you imagine he doesn't know someone. He eats those five, and there's the fresh food there. And he goes and says, here, I'm going to give you this to you. Now, what is that? That's a hand-me-down. That's seconds. That's been contaminated. 
And what was happening with the people of Israel, they were living their lives for their pleasure, for themselves, and then they were saying, okay, God, you can have this. And they were indifferent toward it. They didn't realize it. Uh, they were guilty of not giving God honor. It wasn't that their words were wrong, because I'm sure they would say, I honor God, but their actions were not matching their words. Notice what he says. A son, verse 6, honors his father and a servant his master. Those are two human relationships there that obviously the lesser would respect the greater authority. And so he uses an a fortiori argument, a lesser to the greater. And he says, if you honor these human institutions, why are you not honoring me? Where is my honor? But not only had they not honored God, but it tells us that through their actions, they had despised him. In verse 6, they said, hey, we're not guilty. How have we despised you? And here's where God explains it to them. He said, you have placed defiled food on my altar. They despised him by doing what? They presented a blind animal, verse 8, for sacrifice. When they had an animal that had eyesight, they gave God what was blind. He said, is this not wrong? You present a lame or a sick animal when you have a healthy animal. You're giving me what's left off. You're eating off the plate, and then you're just throwing to me the leftovers. And so we see not only was this in direct disobedience to God, because God's law regarding the sacrifices was that the best would be given, the perfect would be given, the unblemished. Not only were they not following the law of God, but they were demonstrating what they really thought about God. That God, you're really not that important. I may call you Lord, but my actions are speaking in contrary ways to that. So God introduces a third relationship in verse 8. He said, bring it to your governor. He's going from parent to master to governor, your, your governmental authority. He said, try bringing that to your governor. You think he would be pleased with it? You know, I loved uh, being with the kids, and actually it was a great week. Um, I may have graduated out of that now, but it was really, we had, and we'll be able to share briefly and hope this more another day. But I'll be honest, it's a lot easier traveling with senior adults, all right, because they're not up at 1 or 1.30 in the morning. Uh, and uh, although the first night was the only night this week. But one of the highlights of the senior adults trip we took a number of years ago, and, and quite a few who went on that trip have since gone on to be with the Lord, but we went to a senior citizen celebration in Pigeon Forge, and we got to hear First Lady Barbara Bush. Now, one thing I've learned about senior adults, they're going to get there early, all right? With kids, you're going to be dragging them. Senior adults are going to get there an hour early. If it's 5 o'clock, they're going to be there at 4 o'clock. Well, guess what? We were there two and a half to three hours early, standing in a parking lot in September, waiting. And, and uh, David and Mike's mom was living at that time. She was a part of that group. We took a five-gallon bucket, and Liz will remember that. We turned it over, and Margaret and I believe Florence and somebody else took turns sitting on that five-gallon bucket. We got there early, and we got good seats. 
We did that because a dignitary was going to be there. If we'd had just somebody off the streets. You see, God is moving here in verse 8 in a higher scale that it's expected that a dignitary would be respected. It's expected. But he says, what about me? This is an indictment not only on Israel, but on all of us. Have we become too familiar with God? Have we become too comfortable with God? Do we lack the appreciation of his greatness and his goodness? Have we forgotten how great he is? He's holy. Are we giving him the leftovers of our time, our energy, our money, our gifts? All the while, prioritizing, fading things. I shared a poignant story a number of years ago. I tried to find another one, but I couldn't find anything more fitting. You may have heard it. Story of a farmer came in one day. Cal had two calves. He was rejoicing. Told his wife, he said, the Lord has blessed me immensely. We had twin calves, and I want to give one to the Lord. We went a few weeks. He came in for lunch one day. His wife said, have you decided which one's the Lord and which one's yours? He said, I haven't decided yet. A little while later, he came in with a sorrowed look on his face. His wife said, what happened? He said, the Lord's calf died today. Too many times in our lives, the Lord's calf dies. And so God is asking a question here in verse 9. And now ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us since uh, this has come from your hands, second-rate stuff, leftovers? W would you expect him to show any favor to you? Too many times in our lives... God is playing second fiddle if he's even in the orchestra at all. Too often we give him the leftovers. We give him the dead calf. And we rationalize this way. Well, I'm saved by grace. God understands. I'm okay. What the Bible calls that is an abuse of grace. Instead of thinking of I'm okay, I'm saved anyway. God knows I fall short. We ought to say, God is great. He deserves that. God is good in this. He deserves more. He's worthy of my best. I've been made right by his grace. I'm not going to use that grace in turn to give him leftovers, to give him what is least. I'll give him what is best. So we see a sobering comparison in really the first five verses and then the next nine verses. The, the first speaks to God's goodness, and then verse 5 is greatness. And then we see the waywardness of Israel in her response. Israel was blinded in her sin, blessed of the Lord, couldn't see it, oblivious to the goodness of God, making a poor return and having the gall to say, how have you loved us? But the beautiful picture of the love of God was this. God had not given up on Israel. Last week we saw that he proclaimed destruction on Edom, but he didn't do the same for his people. And if you find yourself indifferent to God today, the good news is this, it can change and that God is pursuing you. 
if you honestly evaluate yourself and you would say, God is an add-on in my life right now, you can change. You know, one of the personal blessings of this week at children's camp is to uh, hear the children sing and not just crank it like a chainsaw. They did that. You got to see that. Maybe the youth will do it. Lizzie knows what I'm saying. But as they got into worship, it was beautiful. And there was a song, The Goodness of God. And it starts, all my life you have been faithful. And, of course, I realized I was listening to seven- and eight-year-olds sing this song, not 58-year-olds, but all my life. They said, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. But the song continues like that. The refrain was what I just sang. But the song continues like this. Your goodness is running after me. God is pursuing. God was pursuing Israel. God's pursuing you wherever you are today. And then it says, with my life laid down, I surrender now, and I give you everything. Had a lot of good memories from this week. But what sent the chills down my spine were hearing the voices of 400 children and that song reverberating everything. You could hear it. And I mean, when they got the rest of the song they sang, when they give you everything, they were at full throttle. It was bouncing off. Man, I was, I thought I was almost in heaven. I'm, I can't express to you to hear those kids that could have been doing anything else in God's house saying, I give you everything. That's what God wants. Now, will we fall short? Certainly, but I'd rather fall short trying than making an excuse not. You know, I love this box. You can, you can come look at it. Don't touch it. No, you can touch it. <laughs> you can touch it. I trust you. But as great as that is, there's coming a time when that won't mean anything. It'll mean nothing. It means nothing to you probably right now, but it won't mean anything even to me because it's temporal. God is eternal. He's great. And he's loving. Next week, we're going to observe communion, and we're going to see a great contrast. We see the people of Israel today, they are giving their leftovers to God. Next week, we're going to observe communion and God is giving his best for his people. I don't know about you, but that demands more than just some leftover trivial acknowledgement. God didn't withhold his best. How could we justify our doing that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your unconditional love. But, Father, we know that your grace to us is so abundant that if we give the wrong return, it is arguably the greatest injustice in the world. Father, the words of that song, I give you everything. Father, we know we're, we're not perfect, but, Father, may it be that we would shoot toward it 
rather than making excuses that uh, God understands, I'll just give him what I can. Lord, we pray you'd speak in this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, most important decision you can ever make in your life is to say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know you gave your 